Welcome to the Beehive Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Bees. Episode two. Welcome, everyone. I uh, just want to take a quick moment. Thank everybody for listening to episode one. I got a ton of feedback uh, through texts and Facebook Messenger. Everything you guys said and, and responded with is just going to help make the show and myself better. So I really appreciate everything. Keep the feedback coming. Uh, anything I can do to improve. Uh, Segments you'd like to see, um, segments you like, segments you don't like. I, I want to hear it all. So, again, really appreciate it. Uh, let's get rolling. Um, so, what I decided to do here for this opening segment is I want to talk about something that I think is somewhat flying under the radar. It was touched upon on most major sports networks and everything, but I think it's a little bit going to the wayside. And the reason I think it's going to the wayside is because it actually doesn't take effect until 2023, but it's the deal the NFL just signed, uh, their, their new TV deal they signed. It's an 11-year contract. Uh, the NFL will earn in the, in the life of it approximately $113 billion. Uh, it runs from the 2023 season through the 2033 season. Uh, I have some serious concerns about this. I, I don't. Uh, there's some of it that I think is pretty cool. I'm going to get to the cool stuff first, and then we'll get to the uh, the stuff where I think it starts to go downhill a little bit, and uh, we'll, we'll just discuss each and every piece. So uh, to start it off, like I said, it starts in 2023, so, so I think that is why we're not hearing much about it at this point, because for two seasons, two full football seasons, it's irrelevant. Uh, it's only going to take effect at the 2023 season. So uh, the NFL Sunday ticket contract – is not included in this new deal. Um, Sunday ticket currently owned by uh, or, or contracted through DirecTV. Uh, it, it ends at the end of the 2022 season. So we still have two full seasons of DirecTV Sunday ticket. Uh, at this point, that contract's still up in the air. Uh, the NFL hasn't committed to anything. AT&T or DirecTV, they, they also, they just haven't come to an agreement yet. Um, thinking about that, realistically with AT&T buying or merging with DirecTV, taking over DirecTV. It's an AT&T company now. Uh, I think that would be a huge, huge loss. And almost, I would call it a little bit of probably viewership suicide if they do lose NFL Sunday ticket. So I'd, my personal opinion is I don't think it will go anywhere. I think they will reach an agreement. But again, I'm not part of the negotiations. I don't know really shit about shit. So it's just my opinion on it. I just don't see them giving it up. I think it would really, really hurt the, the direct TV brand. So moving on, um, how it's going to go. First of all, it starts off in this contract, Monday night football, uh, beginning week 12 can now be flexed. So like the Sunday night games, uh, in the same scenario, they can be flexed to a more intriguing matchup. Uh, they, they create the schedule early. If later on in the season, these two teams are shit, then they'll move them around and put in a game that's going to, you know, that people are going to watch. I think last year, I believe there was some Sunday night games that uh, you get a lot of NFC East teams in Sunday night games for some reason. I'm not really sure why. It just seems that way to me. It might not even be true, but it just seems like there's always Dallas or Philly or somebody playing in Sunday night. Uh, that division was hot garbage last year. They flexed a bunch of games out. Uh, Buffalo got flexed into a game, deservingly so. But there was more than just them. There's other teams that got flexed also. So they're tr- they're bringing that to Monday Night Football. So that's beginning week 12. And again, like I said, this all starts in the 2023 season. 
Monday night football doubleheaders. We're, we're accustomed right now to the week one doubleheader that they always do. Uh, it's been that way. I, I don't remember what year that started, but they, they're doing Monday night football doubleheaders. I know it's been over 10 years for sure that they've been doing that. They're bringing that to now it's going to happen three times a year, guaranteed. ABC is going to host a game. ESPN is going to host a game. So that's, I would uh, assume the ABC one will be first because ESPN has the rights to Monday night football. So uh, of course they are sister companies or under the same umbrella. I will touch on that a little bit uh, later in when we get into ESPN plus, which is dabbling into this as well. But those two are both part of the Walt Disney company. Um, so th- those games will be, you know, back to back Monday night football. They're going to do it three times. Didn't say from what I read when they're going to do it or uh, how they're going to choose or whatever, but it's just going to, it's going to be three times a year rather than just week one. Saturday doubleheaders are going to become a thing during the final week of the season. So we have what we're used to seeing for week 17. Of course, when this uh, takes place, it's going to be week 18 because they're adding the week uh, to the regular season. So the final week of the regular season in ESPN's contract, they have a Saturday doubleheader. The games are required to have playoff implications. Formerly week 17, they would space the games at the 1 and 4 uh, four p.m. time slots. I believe this past year they did do an 8 p.m. game that had playoff implications. But the idea of that is to keep everybody on the same amount of rest uh, day as far as the days go. So that's going to change because you're going to have playoff implications with teams who play Saturday. Maybe they will put the wild card games for those teams that win. Maybe those teams will be forced to play the wild card game Saturday the following week so that they are on the same amount of rest as the teams who are playing Sunday. Uh, if there's some playoff implications there as well. So you, you have another double header coming. It's going to be again, Saturday. What will at this point be week 18, the final week of the regular season, a little bit about the flexible scheduling procedures and how it works. Uh, in week 17, what will then be week 18 They have to flex the schedule six days in advance. That's for not only the teams to prep, but also ticket holders, uh, people who make plans. Because I could definitely see the flexible scheduling. And I I think I've actually met a few people who have been kind of scorned by this once or twice, at least once because of a, a flex game where they had tickets to. You get a hotel, you have plans, and then bam, they change the time. Could screw up somebody's shit. Uh, The NFL flexible scheduling procedures for the uh, actual flex weeks, which begin, you know, 12 in this scenario would be 12 through 16 for current. When they get the 18th game, it would be 12 through 17, the flexible scheduling. They have to do it 12 days in advance. That's according to the NFL's website and their flexible scheduling procedures. 12 days in advance, it seems as though I've seen games flexed sooner than that in a shorter time span. I don't know if they can step outside those procedures if the teams agree or how that works, but uh, just a little bit about that so so you have a better understanding of how the flexing works. Uh, Moving on to the next part of the contract, Nickelodeon is likely to uh, be doing the the, – alternative presentation of the game like they did against the or with the Saints game I believe it was I can't remember who they played but it was 
a playoff game that you could watch on regular television. But if you panned over to Nickelodeon, there was an alternate presentation of the game where uh, they put a lot of effects onto the field during the game. Slime, if you scored, they had SpongeBob in the, the goalposts. Uh, the NFL has given partners a greater ability to be innovative and provide this alternate uh, presentation of game, certain games. And the reason they're doing that was because it was well-received. I know Nate Burleson was on that broadcast for the couple minutes I switched over to that. I'm pretty sure Kyle Hellman from the Bills group chat watched the entire game on that. He was really into it. So must have been a lot of people who felt like Kyle because that is uh, something that we're going to be seeing more of in the future. And for kids, I suppose it's a good thing. Uh, get some watching the game and, and seeing some some stuff that might keep their attention drawn to the game. And if that's the ultimate goal, then it seems to be succeeding. So that's another thing we're going to see. So now this is where I think this new deal uh, starts to get a little kind of fucked up. If you ask me, uh, seems like the NFL is really trying to get everybody involved and they've really NFL and the networks are basically all in on getting streaming involved. Um, in this new contract that you're going to see nearly 20 games will only be available online. Uh, starting with Thursday night football, So Thursday night football starting in 2023 will be owned by tech giant, Amazon prime video uh, until that point. So the next two years uh, leading into 2023 prime will cover the games, which they did last year. Also, Prime will cover the games, but they will also be aired on Fox. Uh, once we get to 2023, Fox will be completely out of the picture. It's only going to be on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, if you're a married dude, that's probably okay because there's a great chance you have Amazon Prime because uh, your wife definitely has that. If she told you she doesn't, she does. So you would still be able to watch those games. Um, I know I won't have any problem with it because uh, Amazon delivery, FedEx, all those guys are here on a regular basis, which most of you know, because uh, I kind of give Devin a lot of shit for that on Facebook. But anyway, so Prime, a lot of people have that. That might not be so bad. Um, I I just still disagree with keeping it online. The, the catch to this is that if it's a, a team that's in your home market, Either one of the teams, you will be able to watch the game on regular TV uh, if you're in the home market of either of the two teams. Uh, so that that kind of okay, I suppose, to, to add to it. But uh, I know a lot of you are like me. I'm watching whatever game's on Thursday night. I don't give a shit who's playing. Uh, you know, so I, I just – I don't necessarily love that, but um, – it's going to change a lot of things. Uh, a lot more people will probably be investing in smart TVs if they don't have one already. I think most people do, but there's in some cases, you know, maybe some room in your house that you like watching football that you don't have your smart TV. Uh, so that's something that's, you know, going to be uh, having an effect on people for sure. Uh, according to pro football talk. So I did not confirm this in the actual contract, but according to pro football talk, Amazon Prime Video could also earn the rights to stream one wildcard playoff game. And that is only if the company meets certain viewership thresholds uh, during their time doing the Thursday night only stream where, where they have exclusive rights to it. So that could actually be bumped to not only Thursday night, but also moving toward a wildcard game as well. 
Uh, the ESPN Plus is is dabbling into this too, which I had mentioned earlier briefly. Uh, the international games that the NFL does, I haven't looked to see where they're at with that. I know they're all canceled this year. They didn't travel. But typically one in London or a few in London, uh, and then they usually do one in uh, Mexico as well. One of these games – will be exclusively on ESPN Plus, which is a, a package you have to pay for. Um, I'm sure there's ways around it with all you uh, fire stick wizards out there, but uh, the international game exclusively on ESPN Plus, it'll be one game per season for the life of the contract. Uh, NBC's Peacock streaming network, which I don't even know what the fuck that is. Peacock. I, I think maybe I heard of it a while back, but I I didn't know it was... Growing to this degree where uh, from 2023 through 2028, they will get one game per season for a total of six that will be exclusively aired on NBC's Peacock. Paramount Plus is getting involved. Granted rights from the NFL to distribute games beginning this year through 2033. And that's beginning this year. So this isn't this is the only part of the contract that I saw that starts now. It's not. Uh, wait two years. It's actually beginning this year. So they will be, uh, they will have one, only one. Right. Okay. So yeah, I was just sorry about that. I was just reading my notes. One, the only, like I said, this is the only one that's changing for this up, upcoming season. Uh, NFL games will be available on the premium tier, which is $10 a month. This is also the only one where I saw prices available uh, within the, the contract. So NFL games on premium tier for $9.99 or uh, here in June, they're launching an ad supported tier for $4.99. And like I said, that's set to debut this June. So for $5 cheaper, if you want to watch some commercials, you can watch the game on there. Uh, again, these aren't things that I necessarily agree with. They're, you know, they're kind of forcing your, your hand to spend money and get involved into these other uh, streaming providers that it just seems like they're spreading it out, uh, you know, really, really spreading the wealth here. But it makes sense if you look at the, like I said, the, uh, when I first started the segment, 133 billion is what the NFL is set to accrue uh, based off of this contract if it uh, rides out for its entire existence, which leads me to my next part. Uh, in typical NFL fashion, just like player contracts, the NFL can opt out of this deal after seven years. Uh, so why would they do that? Uh, TV rights increase in value uh, with sports betting becoming a big industry. Just about every state. Well, not just about, I should say, but I think every state's probably at least looking into it, seeing what it will take to to get it legalized. Pennsylvania was ahead of the ball on this. Uh, they had the stuff in place because they knew federally it was going to become legal and that it was going to be up to the states to regulate. So they already had everything in place so that once it became federally legal, they could just march forward and, and get going right away, uh, which is why you can legally bet sports in the state of Pennsylvania now. It didn't take long. They were one of the, one of the first uh, after the – nationwide legalization and one of the first to get it up and running. So with that, like I said, the TV rights increase, uh, they can opt out 
The NFL can opt out of this deal after seven full years, which would put them at 2030 through the beginning of the 2030 season. They can opt out and basically have a fresh start in negotiations and, and, uh, you know, get a new deal, get more money, do whatever they're going to do. Excuse me. Uh, the Super Bowl. So we're on to the next next part of the contract, the Super Bowl, uh, which is going to be a rotation of NBC, Fox, CBS, and ABC. Uh, historically, every one of these channels have hosted the Super Bowl. Uh, the only slight exception to this would be if uh, ABC chooses to use ESPN as their platform rather than the actual ABC network or both. Uh, this will still be the first Super Bowl that ABC has hosted since Super Bowl 40 in 2006, uh, where the Steelers defeated the Seahawks 21-10. So ABC is back into the mix. Uh, and I had previously stated, too, that they are they uh, ABC corporate parent is the Walt Disney Company, and they are the majority owner of ESPN. So there's a lot to look at here. Like I said, I, I saw some of the sports networks kind of hashing this out and stuff like that. But I haven't seen a lot of, you know, my friends who are active talking about sports and stuff like that. I really haven't seen them make any comments on it. And I think part of the reason why is, you know, you see that it's takes effect 2023, man, it's nothing you got to really look at now. It's kind of across that bridge when you get there sort of deal, but it's definitely something that one, you know, once I really dug into it and saw, ins and outs of the contract and stuff. I, I really, I'm hoping that once it all gets going, it's just, it's smooth and that it's still easy to, you know, find the game you're looking for if you don't have the streaming network or if uh, I'm hoping that ticket still, you know, exists post 2023 and maybe some of these games, uh, if it's a Sunday game that they choose to stream on Peacock, that hopefully that will still be able to be picked up by ticket. I don't know how any of that's going to work. Uh, so that's just something I'll have to, I will have to cross that bridge when I get there, but just talking about it and hearing about it, it's kind of interesting stuff. Um, it's the, you know, it's the fastest, biggest, most popular league in the entire world. As far as sports go, it's crazy how much money is generated in revenue, 133 billion just on a TV contract. Um, so it's uh, pretty much it for the first segment of the Beehive Sports Podcast. I just wanted to break that down for you. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments on that, I'd love to hear what you have to say, what your opinions are of it. Um, again, like I said, I think they're really spreading spreading the wealth out. Uh, I don't know if that's going to work in their favor when it comes to viewership because now all these people, uh, you know, I guess it just depends on how avid you are about your team, if you're willing to spend the money to – Get that stream just to watch your, you know, the game you want to see if it's unavailable elsewhere. So, you know, I have a lot of friends who are fans out of market teams. I got a buddy who's a big Rams fan, uh, Dolphins fans, Raiders fans. They're so, you know, if they're hosted by one of these games, it's not a local network, especially for, you know, for Thursday night football. So it won't be aired. So, uh, again, if you have any, thoughts or anything like that i'd love to hear what you have to say uh you can post them under the uh episode two post on the facebook page uh so let's hear it and uh, we're gonna take a short break i'll be right back
let's take a look back at this week in sports history. All right, we're back. Episode two, sports history. One thing I want to add from the last segment that I was thinking about during the break, uh, what that TV deal is really going to affect, in my opinion, is an older crowd of NFL fans, uh, younger people who are growing up with all this technology and streaming services and things like that. They're they're not going to have a problem sorting through this and figuring it out. Probably going to be a little bit more of a pain in the ass than normal, but they'll they'll survive. Uh, but we all know. We all have somebody in our life, an older person, whoever it may be, who does struggle with technology and uh, even a smartphone, let alone a streaming service. Uh, I just think that that's going to be a, a could be a problem. Of course, I don't know that that's their target uh, audience at this point. NFL is so large uh, that I would think new fans and younger fans is who they're trying to attract at this point. Anyways, moving on to sports history. This segment's going to be a little bit different than how sports history went last week. Last week, I told the story of Steph Curry and Davidson Run in the Elite Eight, as the Elite Eight is upon us. Uh, when I don't have a good story or something like that, a, a great event that I really want to take the time to talk about, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm compiling a list of 10 things that happened during the week following the last published podcast. So we published last, I believe it's March 25th. So from then until now, uh, things that happened in that time frame, I went through a bunch of them. I uh, jotted down 10 that I thought were worthy. And uh, we're just going to go through a list. They're going to be in chronological order. Uh, so it will be just the year will be stated. I'm not going to give the precise date for each of those things, but all you need to know is it fell within the last week. All right, so here we go. Number one. 1937, it's revealed that Quaker Oats pays Babe Ruth $25,000 per year for using his photos on their advertisement uh, in an endorsement deal. Uh, the calculator, the inf- inflation calculator showed this to equate to just over $450,000 a year uh, by today's standards. Babe Ruth made over a million in the 22 seasons that he that he played Major League Baseball. Uh, actually started out with a $600 salary in 1914 as a minor leaguer for the Baltimore Orioles. Number two. 1939, Oregon defeats Ohio State 46-33 in the first ever NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. I thought this one was worth noting because it was 45 years before I existed, and I'm still glad Ohio State lost that game. Number three. 1960, USC captures the NCAA swimming title. I don't know anybody who would give a shit about this. I just thought it was kind of funny. It was on this list, completely random. Nobody cares about USC or swimming. So we'll move on. Number four. 1971, the Boston Patriots, excuse me, Boston Patriots become the team we have all grown collectively to hate, the New England Patriots. Uh, the reason this name switch came was actually due to stadium issues. From 1960 to 1970, the Patri- Boston Patriots have played several home games at Boston University, Harvard, and Fenway Park. Uh, the team got a stadium in Foxborough, approximately 25 miles south of Boston, which was when they regionalized the name to the New England Patriots. Number five. 1971, UCLA defeats Villanova 68-62 in the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. Although 
uh, Villanova lost the game, Howard Porter from Villanova was named the term- tournament's most outstanding player. Later, Porter was stripped of that award due to playing while ineligible. So what the NCAA discovered that following the tournament, during the uh, midway through his Porter senior campaign with Villanova, he signed a pro deal with the Pittsburgh Condors of the American Basketball Association. So they actually stripped him from the Most Outstanding Player Award. Uh, if you look at the list of NCAA Most Outstanding Players from the time the tournament began to uh, 2020, it is 1971 is still listed as vacant or vac- yeah, vacated uh, because of this uh, incident. So actually I went through the entire list and the only other uh, year that doesn't have a player listed for most outstanding player, 1971 with Howard Porter and 2020 because there was no tournament. Number six. 1973, Wilt Chamberlain scores one point in the final regular season game of his career. So this was the final regular season game, but he didn't move on to play in the playoffs that year, uh, advancing to the NBA Finals with the Lakers against the Knicks. Lakers won game one, but the Knicks took the next four. And in the final seconds of game five, Chamberlain made a dunk that would prove to be the final play of his decorated career. Number seven. 1979, Michigan State defeats Indiana State in the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship game. Uh, this, this game marked the start of the rivalry between Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. That game actually had the highest TV ratings of any college basketball game up until that point. Number eight. 1982, Louisiana Tech defeats Cheney 76-62 in the first ever NCAA Women's Basketball Championship. I also noted on here that in 1982, same year that this was the first ever Women's Basketball Championship, the men were actually hosting their 44th. And it took 10 years after Title Title IX was enacted. It took 10 years for them to finally get this tournament up and running. So 1982, first ever Women's Basketball Championship. Louisiana Tech defeats Cheney. We're moving on. Number nine. 1990. Olympic standout Jesse Owens, who was the first American to win four gold medals in a single Olympics, is posthumously given the Congressional Gold Medal by President George H.W. Bush. Three days short of exactly 28 years later, Owens' family auctioned off the medal for $85,592. Number 10. And last, 2020. The International Olympic Committee announces that the postponed, the already postponed 2020 Summer Olympic Games had officially been moved to 2021 with the dates of July 23rd to August 8th due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Looks like we got light at the end of the tunnel with all of that. I'm sure we can all agree that it is nice that we were able to have uh, somewhat of a baseball season last year. Uh, football season with a lot of hiccups and a lot of games being moved and a lot of protocol violations and a whole bunch of shit going on. Uh, But it's nice that we have that. So, all right, we're going to take a short break. Be right back.
It's now time for the things that sting. The worst stories in sports, according to Jim. All right, here we are, the things that sting. Uh, I got a lot of good feedback about this segment. I'm happy to hear that. So we're going to keep rolling with it. Uh, This week I have a handful of things to talk about, so let's get started. First thing on the list for the things that sting is the story of Tim Peel, an NHL ref who was fired uh, less than 24 hours after he refed the game March 23rd. The game was a Nashville Predator game who was hosting the Detroit Red Wings. Nashville went on to win 2-0. The incident that led to Peel's termination from the league began at the 15:04 mark in the second period when he called a tripping penalty against Victus Arvidsson, a Predators forward. The replay shows John Merrill, who embellishes the fall during the trip. Uh, if anything should have happened here, a diving penalty would have been more appropriate than, than what was called on Arvidsson. Penalty happened in the offensive zone. Peel can be seen making the call from mid-ice. Fast forward a few minutes of game time later with 12.42 to go, left in the second period. While heading to a commercial break, the Nashville broadcast captures Peel on a hot mic saying, quote, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early, end quote. I actually have the clip here, so we can go ahead and listen in real quick. So if you need to go back to that, feel free to rewind. If you want to listen to it again, I only played the segment one time, uh, or the clip one time, rather. Following the game, Nashville coach John Hines was asked by the press after he'd been made aware of the situation, uh, what he felt, how he felt about what took place. Hines wisely punts the question to the NHL, saying, quote, refs are are employees of the league, and rather than me comment, I think it's on an issue that the league will have to take care of. So I think that's smart. Took the high road. Probably not the same response he's going to have if the Predators lose that game. But it was smart. Avoided a senseless fine, more than likely. See players, coaches alike constantly getting fined for criticizing refs. So fast forward, as I said, less than 24 hours later, the NHL releases a statement saying that Peel's been relieved of his duties. He will no longer ref in the NHL currently or in the future. So it turns out he was actually broke into the league in 1999. Tim Peel did as an an NHL ref. As of February 1st of 2021, Peel has refed 1,343 regular season games, 90 playoff games, the 2012 All-Star Game, and he was on the crew for the 2014 Olympics in Sochi. Peel was set to retire at the end of the season, April 24th of this coming this coming April, was the last game that he would have refed. He was scheduled to ref and then retire. So Peel got an early retirement. That begs the question, how long this went on for? How many times did he do this? Uh... I haven't heard any of the other refs kind of speaking out on him. What I have read is that Peel has been widely criticized his entire career for shitty penalties that people didn't agree with. In 2015, Peel was removed from refing a New Jersey Devils game prior to, to face the opening of the game after he was found the night before with a journalist, photos posted of him and the journalist drinking together at a bar. Didn't seem like a big deal. Uh, I guess 
it's my understanding that that story was actually blown out of proportion by a radio show in Quebec where they basically assumed what took place and why the NHL did what they did. They removed him from one game. He was back to work, you know, the following week, just a couple days later. The journalist he was with was somebody who was widely criticized, critical of, of Peel his entire career. Uh, it was assumed by the Quebec radio show that they actually met because Peel wanted to kind of explain himself and, and maybe even defend himself from some of the things that this, this uh, journalist had wrote. I feel like with a month left, do you, you, do you not have your blinders on? I mean, I know you have a job to do. You're a month and a day from retiring. Isn't it kind of like just keep your head down, call what you see, keep your mouth shut kind of thing? I haven't seen anything as far as like a separation agreement or, or if, if he was fired, fired, did he lose a pension? I'm not sure on any of that. I'm, I'm going to guess probably not. I think the NHL just washed their hands of it real quick. It was easy. He's a month away. Start early. Maybe he lost a little bit of money. I'm not sure. Either way, I think it's safe to say Tim Peel's a pretty big idiot. You were, a, again, a month away from just being done with this forever and said something he shouldn't have. Caught on camera. Kind of the world we live in. So moving on from Tim Peel, a couple more things I want to discuss here. Second thing, I'm not going to dive into this real deep because I could go on about this bullshit for hours. Chase Claypool, bar fight, believe the date was March 13th, video just surfaced. I uh, had speaking with uh, Munch about it. Munch actually thinks maybe this is why they re-signed Juju. Maybe they knew about this prior to. It's a good point. Claypool kicked the guy in the face who was laying on the ground. Uh, his camp is saying that he was just sticking up for his friend. You watch a video. There's a slowed down version I saw on Twitter. Claypool kicks the guy, and then as, as another guy gets up to chase after Claypool, Claypool takes off. He wanted nothing to do with it. So to say he's there to help his buddy seems kind of fabricated. He did, uh, you know, a bitch move, essentially. But I could, like I said, I could go on for hours about the Steelers wide receivers and their TikTok antics and Chase Claypool. I know he's on Twitch. He streams himself playing video games. Uh, culture of that team is just not, not what it used to be, in my opinion. And they embrace guys like this now. And I don't know if that's league-wide, if that's what we're going to see, or if it's just culture of that team. seems like you don't see too much of that on other teams. I mean, people people have their brands, and I, I know that that's seemingly more important to them anymore than actually being an NFL player, some of them. Moving on to another NFL player, Josh Gordon had a quote that made me about piss my pants laughing. Gordon was on the Adam Schefter podcast on ESPN where he talked about uh, a comeback to the NFL. Part of his quote was, there's no quit in me. No shit, Josh. If you would have quit smoking weed however many years ago, you'd probably still be in the league. But every time you served a suspension, 
you'd come back, you'd get reinstated. Everybody would have high hopes for you because you have all the talent in the world. Then you just do it again. So I think that's the crime of the century, and that's why he should not be in the league anymore. Probably not. But it seemed like Gordon's issues seemed to run a little deeper than just smoking weed. Seemed like he actually had a legitimate substance abuse problem. But I definitely got a kick out of it. There's no quitting me. It's like, we know. We know there's no quitting you. Uh, recently, if anybody hasn't paid attention, which I really haven't because it doesn't seem all that interesting to me, but Gordon's currently playing in uh, the FCF, which is fan-controlled football. He partnered up with his friend and former Browns teammate, Johnny Manziel. I uh, did re- read a little bit of a story where it said uh, Manziel hit Gordon for a game-winning Hail Mary. Uh, the little bit I've seen of that fan-controlled football, I thought the field was way tinier than what it actually is. It's a 50-yard field, so Hail Mary, 50 yards, that's that's pretty legit. But when I first saw that, I was like, fucking 30 yards downfield, it's a Hail Mary in that league, I guess. I don't know, but it's a 50-yard field, eight-yard end zones on either side. Josh Gordon's still currently under contract. Technically, uh, He's not under contract. He's a restricted free agent with the Seattle Seahawks currently. Uh, he is reinstated. Last I saw, um, I actually could be wrong on that. I know there was a reinstatement and then another violation. So I guess I'm, I'm actually not sure exactly where he's at, but I do know that he's still a restricted free agent under the Seahawks. So they would have to uh, tender an offer or let him go. So I'm going to end this segment this week. So, uh, this story is a little bit darker than the rest. Some, you know, some of the other stuff's a little bit funny. This one, clearly not. Uh, Grand Canyon University Antelopes uh, just played in the round of 64 in the March Madness tournament. Uh, they played against Iowa. They had a uh, three days after their game against Iowa in the round of 64. Antelope forward Oscar Freyer was killed in an accident in Lodi, California. Crash occurred approximately 2.30 a.m. after the SUV veered off the roadway and struck a California Highway Patrol car. Freyer was one of three people in the SUV, all of which died, including his sister, Andrea. The two California Highway Patrolmen who were injured are expected to survive, but it was said that there would be a long road to recovery. In the game against Iowa, Freyer who has actually been regarded as the most accomplished player in Grand Canyon University Antelope basketball history. End of the game with 25 minutes played, eight points, three boards, five assists, and three blocks. It was the final game before his life was tragically taken. If you don't know anything about Grand Canyon University, I urge you to uh, do a little YouTubing on uh, their student section, the basketball games. They've actually been noted in some places as one of the most difficult to pl- places to play for opposing teams. Small school. Uh, they got a nice arena. But if you uh, get a chance, I, I have this little thing that I really, really enjoy. Um, like fan traditions, uh, the Yankees. I can't stand the Yankees, but the Yankees roll call at the beginning of home games. I think that's awesome. Stuff like that in different stadiums, just different traditions that fans do. Uh, you got to check out just just if you get a free minute, Google the Grand Canyon University basketball havocs. That's the student section. They call themselves the Havocs, and 
their uh, their kind of theme is the the pregame party. And if you just watch a few of the videos, the student section, it's really cool. Just really cool to watch. So if you get a minute, check that out. Uh, they're a little bit of an up and coming program. So maybe you'll hear more of them in the future. But again, I just wanted to end on that story. Uh, you know, it's really a shame. Young, promising athlete. Uh, you know, according to the school, one of the most, like I said, regarded regarded as the most accomplished player in their school history. So I'm going to end this segment uh, with a little bit of a moment of silence in honor of Oscar. Uh, hope that his uh, friends and family are hanging on and, and everything as far as that goes. So we'll take a short break and be right back. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up episode two of the Beehive Sports Podcast. I'm not doing a My Hive this week, uh, My Hive segment. There's not really a whole lot to go on. Uh, a couple of the other segments ran pretty long also, so I don't want to make these too long and annoy everybody. Uh, a couple things to note for My Hive, really the only things that took place. Carlos Correa turned down a shitload of money from the Astros. Uh, apparently, he thinks he deserves Tatis money, so... We'll see where that leads. Uh, the Bills signed uh, defensive lineman Ife Obata, who is just another former Panther uh, coming up to Buffalo, who's probably going to uh, be a complete letdown like the majority of those guys have been. Uh, so the pass rush still hasn't been addressed. And, you know, I'll just keep waiting, I guess. Another thing I wanted to do was give a shout out. Uh, one, one of the reasons I did this podcast my, one of my inspirations, I guess you could say, a little bit of a motivator. Uh, my buddy, Ryan Klein, uh, most people know him as Cowboy. Uh, he started a podcast of his own. Uh, it's really good, and I enjoyed listening to it, and it just seemed like he was having a lot of fun. I started asking him a lot of questions. Uh, so that was kind of what got me to uh, put this in motion, and here we are. So uh, if you want to check out another podcast, it's just it's a year-by-year review of pop culture. Uh, it's called Me, Myself, and Rye. You can find it on every one of the outlets that I'm on. Uh, just search Me, Myself, and Rye. Listen to Ryan Klein discuss some pop, co- uh, pop culture. Uh, he does a segment called Rye's Got Five on it. It's really good. So if you get a chance, head on over there and look it up. Uh, again, just want to say thanks, Ryan, for, for kind of motivating me to do this. So... I also just want to give another thank you to the listeners of episode one. I got a lot of really good feedback. Like I said uh, earlier in the episode, really helps. It's going to sculpt, you know, what this, what this becomes and everything. So I really appreciate it. Uh, If you haven't already, hop on Facebook, like, and follow the Beehive Sports Podcast Facebook page. Uh, And if you like it enough, you could even give me a share. Maybe I can get out to some people who I don't even know who will start listening. So Again, thank you, and we'll see you next time.